Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts, Episode 161 of Blue Jays Nation Radio. A little midsummer special. Yuremcha, Coomzy, and our pal BK. You know it's a special episode when BK stops by on the pod. What's up, man? Uh, good, good to talk ball today and kind of summarize a very uh, kind of weird first half of the Blue Jays season. Um, but yeah, hopefully with some optimism moving forward. But it's been, it's been weird. Weird baseball season. And uh, yeah, we get to talk about that today. I like to think the Jays season goes like any one of our podcasts. There's like a couple of good moments, but the general <laughs> randomness and shit is what it takes out. Yeah, there's a lot of good ideas. Like I'd say about us, we always have a good um, good planning and good notes, good ideas written down at the beginning. But ah, the execution's not always the best. And that's how I'd probably summarize the Blue Jays this year as well. Um, I want to start before we get into our three up, three down, which knowing the three of us will turn into like eight up, eight down for the first half of the Jays season. I want to start with what we saw Monday night in Seattle, and that was Vladimir Guerrero Jr. winning the home run derby. I'm rocking my white Vladdy jersey to pay homage to the fact that the big man won the derby. Coomsey, what'd you make of it? It was fun to watch. I, I'm, I'm always positive about the home run derby. It's it's the one thing across all of the all-star games and all of the sports that like every year I'm, in, I'm into it. I, I, I enjoy watching it. And Vladdy's performance was fantastic. And the funny thing is, I think it kind of likens itself to the way the season's been. I feel like all three of those rounds, it looked like he was having a bad time. Like every, every round I was like, oh man, Vladdy's struggling. He looks tired. Looks like this is going to be the round. He keeps hitting the balls into the ground. What's going on? And then you'd look at the number and he's like 22 home runs and it's like wow this doesn't look amazing but he's just killing it and then here we go at the end and he just wins the whole thing maybe that's what's going to happen with the blue jays this year it's going to be a weird ride and then all of a sudden at the end wow they're world series champions who would have thought ek what'd you make of vladdy winning the derby yeah, it was good. To, you you hope there's like a a bunch of confidence that comes from something like that, right? Because he's uh you know a superstar name and a superstar reputation that hasn't played anywhere close to that this year. Um, and you know he's feeling that. And obviously, you know it, he's a he's a baseball lifer, and he works his butt off. And and to not be rewarded and to go through all these frustrations this year, and and we saw it last year too. Um, you just hope that you know some of these kind of good moments for him can propel uh, a, a high end second half as I, we watch him ground out here in the All Star game. <laughs> 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 right, right, right as I say that, yep. as we're uh, taping here. But uh, yeah, it's, it, I mean, just fun, right? It, nothing bad can come from 
uh, from something like that, especially when he's had a relatively powerless first half. Um, hopefully he finds a power stroke moving forward. I stand by my take and a take that many people shared that it will fix his launch angle. Um, it was also cool just as we're talking about the general vibes of uh, the All-Star game. That start from Julio Rodriguez when he went up there and hammered out like six of the first eight pitches he saw. I saw a shot, I think it was from Israel Fair, who used to work for The Athletic, and he was in the crowd. And the way that place just fucking exploded when he was hitting those bombs was so cool. I would love that's like a sports bucket list item for me is to attend a home run derby in person because it looks like a lot of fun. 2025 might be happening. There was a Bob Nightingale had a report today saying Toronto was one of the teams, our cities in the mix, Atlanta and Baltimore for 2025. I think it would make sense for the Jays to have it with the new Renos, right? Might as well reward them for that. Yeah, especially because they're putting in more work this offseason, right? Mm -hmm. So like by the time 2025 rolls around, like Rogers Center should be 100% renovated. So that'd be, uh, it'd be kind of cool to see an all-star game come to Toronto. When was the last time Toronto had one? Sometime in the eighties, I would, uh, I would assume. I, I think I saw on Twitter today, somebody was like, it's been 32 years since the Jays had. So what, what would that be? 82? 91? 91? Oh my like God. <laughs> my math is so far wrong and I should have known that considering I just turned 30 and I was born in 1993. Uh, yeah, something like 91, somewhere around there. I don't remember it. I'm uh, much like Coombsy. Uh, yeah, we were not uh, what? all uh, we were not all that around and present when uh, the All-Star game was happening last, but uh, yeah, back then the Rogers Center was what? Like one of the wonders of the world and uh, a complete Still marvel is. in the architecture. <laughs> and, then, and then it uh, it got uh, passed by quite a few stadiums and uh yeah the renovations hopefully that's the thing if ownership goes and puts 300 million into a stadium usually that comes with some type of you know favor uh from the commissioner's office to get a, an all-star game and yeah it'd be a lot of fun to see one in toronto uh, i think that's about enough talk about all-star weekend vladdy won the home run derby that's great everything else that happens will be largely irrelevant uh, so let's dig into the first half of the season here we're going to do a lot of looking back, we're going to look back at some of our preseason predictions as well. Then towards the end of the episode, we'll look ahead at what's coming up this weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays as they kick off the unofficial or the unofficial start to the second half of the year. But let's start by looking back and listen. This team is nine games above 500. That is not bad. It's not really anything we should complain about. So I'm going to say we start with the ups of this season. Um, Obichet, he's at the All-Star game. Is that a decent spot to start? Like, he's probably been their most consistent bat. No, Coombsy? I think so. I mean, it's it's interesting because this time last year, we wouldn't have been having these things to say about Bo Bichette. This This time last year, it was, if you were to order the big three guys, it would have probably been... Probably actually maybe Alec Manoa number one and then Vladdy number two and then Bo number three. Cause remember last year, he didn't really heat up until after the trade deadline. It was September. We were calling it Bo Timber, right? And he went nuclear and he was so good down the stretch for the Jays in September. And that's when he really found his groove offensively. It wasn't there for the first half of last year, but he's really just kind of maintained that he gets hot last September, carries that through the winter and then just starts off hot and continues going. It looks like he's really emerged as the Blue Jays' top overall player. The, the the defense hasn't been that big of a problem this year, I don't think. Remember in previous years, everybody, anytime anything happened at shortstop, people were like, get this guy to second base. Get him to second base. We can't have him on short. And it was like a problem, like week in, week out, all the time. But I can't remember too many instances this year where we're like, this guy shouldn't be a shortstop. It He looks like a star major league shortstop now. DK, what did you make of Bo's first half? 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was a superstar uh, first half of a season. I think he's pacing something like five and a half, six WAR this season, um, which would be his his top year in the bigs. Um, and and yeah, I mean, he's he's dominated offensively. Uh, as Kumsi said, he's he's taking huge strides forward defensively. Like he's he just he looks like an average defensive shortstop. And what more could you want out of Bo when you're getting the offense you're getting out of him than to just be? And we've said that for a long time. Like just be average, just be a solid, okay, capable shortstop, and don't make multiple big blunders. Look, it, shortstops make errors; they happen. Um, if you remember, he had that critical one in Philadelphia earlier in the season where he like threw the game away, right? And the calls were then, again, back to the, oh, he's not a shortstop. But his body of work up to that had been solid. And since then, it seemed like he managed to shake that off decently, which is a good sign, right? In the past, he's had errors in bunches. He'd have bad defensive weeks. It would kind of, there's like a snowball effect. And he bounced back from that pretty well. And he's just been a superstar player and given the Jays everything they could have hoped for out of him this season. So outside of Bo, I guess my next question for you guys is, is there another batter who you're giving an up vote to for their first half of the season? Matt Chapman's been a little inconsistent. I mean, after that red hot month, it was looking like, oh my God, this guy's going to put together like a Marcus Semyon-esque contract year here. Um, he's kind of been, again, inconsistent. BK, is there anyone you look at from that order and you go, hey, they had a good first half of the season? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say there's a lot of, um, I, I'd say Bo's the only one you look at and say that was a great first half. Um, I would say like Matt Chapman, just body of work as frustrating as he's been to watch the last like two and a half months. He's got a 124 WRC plus. Like that's solid. That works. Kevin Kiermeyer, you've gotten more out of him than you probably would have expected or hoped for. What Merrifield's been solid at the plate. Um, Brandon Belt's been quite solid at the plate. So, there's been some like good stories offensively, um, but the team has lacked great stories outside of Bo. And I think that's been what is what has hindered them. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just a, a handful of guys who have been valuable offensively, but, but not necessarily, you know, a superstar like we've you know seen in past years with past Jays offenses and multiple guys smashing the ball. Oopsie. I'll go ahead and give a plus to Whip Merrifield. Like no one saw this performance coming. We talked about this. I don't know if it was the one we did in person earlier this week or it was the last one, whatever it was. No one, when that trade was made, was excited about the trade being made. Everybody was like, what? Why are you going out and getting this guy? And I mean, he made it to the all-star team. He's, he's, he's the guy who, when George Springer is not available, fills in perfectly adequately while those, the leadoff hitter, it's, it's been, it's been quite the surprise. And I mean, I think, as BK said, Kevin Kiermaier and Brandon Belt, they've pretty much been exactly what you would have hoped when they signed those one-year contracts. But Merrifield's the one for me. I had no expectations coming into the year, and he's been quite good. So that's a thumbs up for me. Yeah, it was kind of like, hey, he's going to platoon in some spot in the lineup, kind of be this guy that moves around the diamond a little bit. I think I, I think I might have had the line, let's hope he's just a better Kevin Biggio this <laughs> year. And I mean, not exactly totally comparable, but like, playing outfield playing infield he's hitting well like the bar was low but he's really exceeded expectations quite nicely it's just something i'll add about wit too that i think is underappreciated is that defensive versatility i um i don't know if i've appreciated this as much in past years but man his ability to bounce back and forth between outfield and infield like there's there's utility infielders right they can go third base second base whatever his ability to go outfield to infield has been huge because there's been a lot of games where the jays are doing pinch hit stuff with espinal with um, uh, with Varsho and, and there's games where he's bounced back and forth multiple times, like infield to outfield to infield. 
um, and vice versa. So that's been really valuable, the, his ability to play a solid defense in both areas, which has allowed the Jays to play matchups um, at least as well as they can. They don't play matchups super well, but as, as well as they're able to. Yeah, so there you go. That's our first stop. It starts with Bo Bichette and a handful of honorable mentions, probably headlined by Whit Merrifield. Let's move next to the starting rotation here for our second up. Coombsy, we've had a handful of conversations throughout the year of like, oh man, where would they be if they didn't have Kevin Gosman? And then the next episode we do, it's like, oh, where would they be if they didn't have Jose Barrios? And I think if you would have told a lot of Jays fans at the beginning of the season, hey, come All-Star break, these guys are going to have three or two arms with a three and a half or better ERA and another two arms with a four and a half or better ERA. Like you'd probably take it. I think you would have assumed that you say Kikuchi wouldn't have been one of them and Alec Manoa would have been one of them. But as a whole, Cam, you've got to be happy with what the rotation gave you in the first half of the year. Yeah, definitely. This is easily the best starting pitching rotation they've had since 2016. I mean, not a tremendously high bar because the, you know, the 17, 18, 19 teams are bad. The 2020 team played 60 games and then the other two teams, it was kind of, you know, the, they weren't really complete. They hadn't really rounded out their rotation yet, but getting Barrios back was so huge. The Jays invested a lot in this guy. I mean, the trade they made in 2021, you give up two top prospects. And I mean, neither of those two, Austin Martin or Simeon Woods Richardson are doing too much for Minnesota. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's prospect capital that you could have traded for somebody else and they chose Barrios and they signed him to the big contract too, seven years. And you're looking in year one, like, uh Oh, he's turned into a pumpkin. We got, you know, many years left of this. This is bad. And he completely turned it around. If, if, if not for that, then the Jays seasons, uh, it, it's probably not looking like what it is right now, especially we'll get into the downs later. Of course, especially with Alec Manoa, he's basically become that innings eater. They were expecting to get from that workhorse. So like coming into the year, I remember we were talking, Hey, if we can get something in the middle of the two Barrioses that we've seen, something like the guy they traded for and the guy that was bad, maybe have some bad starts, but some good ones. That kind of thing is kind of what we're hoping for this year. And it's been so much better than that. It's been a quality start machine. Like this is the guy that they traded for. This is the guy they signed for seven seasons. And it's great that he's back. BK, I'll, I'll frame it to you this way. What was, what's been more surprising to you? You take Kikuchi finding a way to get back to, slightly above replacement level or Jose Barrios bouncing back the way he has? Um, that's a great question. Yeah. Cause I mean, they're both unique in, in kind of what we were expecting, what we could hope for and the fear factor, right? Cause Kikuchi, you're, lo- you're looking at, okay, we just got a, another two years to ride out of this contract. He's only making 10 mil each year. Maybe he's just the guy you end up punting. Whereas Barrios, you're looking at like a franchise cornerstone. And if he becomes like a number six, triple A caliber starter, all of a sudden you're staring down like a rebuild sooner and stuff like that. So the weight of them was pretty different. Um, I'd say Kikuchi was um, maybe a, a little more surprising just because he's been at least relatively consistent. Um, he's, he's getting deeper into games. He hasn't had many of those blowups where he's getting pulled after like one and two third and he's walked five guys. Right. So his walks are way down and that's kind of what's driving a lot of his success this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, the rotation as a whole, like you got Brios playing up to his contract, right? Like a 20 mil is like a number three starter money in free agency. Um, you got Kevin Gossman, who that's a very underappreciated contract. It's like five, one ten, And the top of the, the very top of the free agent market for pitchers is like 36 to 43 a year. And Gossman's over here making 22 a year and absolutely shoving and uh, also giving innings on top of performance, right? Like he's been healthy. He's, he's going deep in games and all that stuff. So yeah, the rotation as a whole has been fun. I think an underappreciated part of what the Jays have targeted is arm health 
in pitchers, right? So they gave Ryu the big contract after um, a, a long history of injuries, and we've seen you know him get injured and stuff like that. You look at the Yankees' rotation; it's decimated, and people say the Blue Jays, you know, don't have enough pitching depth, which is true. Like that is a problem. But they've also gone and targeted healthier profile arms to at least try and avoid the cat- the catastrophe of losing multiple guys to injury. So that's worked out. Thankfully, they've got a lot of guys performing, and it's been fun to watch. Yusei Kikuchi has started 18 games for the Toronto Blue Jays, and he has gone five innings, completed five innings or more in 12 of them. So, again, there's been a couple of bad moments but 66% of the time he's getting you through five innings. Like Cam, it's just, it's hard to complain about Kikuchi, Kikuchi this year. And that is a win in itself. Yeah, this is, it's important. Like expectations. You look at the number on the contract and it's, you know, $36 million over three years. And you're like, wow, this guy makes as much annually as Connor McDavid. But like in the free agent market, BK, like, like he says, it's, you know, 40 schmills now for a really good pitcher. So like 12 mils in free agency gets you a number five. And that's what Kikuchi is now. And he's, he's getting it done. And that's what we said in the offseason. Like if this guy can give some length and not have those just meltdown starts, those, two innings where he walks, you know, six guys and it's just a mess. Those are the starts that he's not doing anymore. It's like we we had some complaints where where we said, geez, it'd be nice if he could pitch more than five. And we he had a six, seven inning start. He came through with a few of those, but geez, at the end of the day, your number five starter, you're you're happy. They're just like keeping you in games every time they come around, right? Like that was not the case last year. He'd come out and it would just be a mess. It was nowhere near the strike zone. It would tax the bullpen. It was terrible. And now he's turned into a reliable number five, which is exactly what they signed with We'll wrap up the conversation on the starting pitching with uh, some chatter about Kevin Gosman. Like you said, BK, he's been just absolutely amazing so far this season. No one in the American League has more strikeouts than Kevin Gosman. In fact, he's 15 Ks clear of second place, and that being Pablo Lopez of the Minnesota Twins. Is he right up there, in your opinion, for Cy Young right now, or does he have a few big names to clear? Yeah, it's, it's an impressive group in the AL. Uh, Garrett Cole being one of the names up there. I mean, we're watching guys pitch today. Uh, Sonny Gray having a great season. He's firmly in the mix, right? So the second half will dictate that. Um, the last couple of years, Gossman's second half numbers have been worse than his first half numbers. We'll see um, how things will play out the rest of the way. But yeah, I mean, it, the, the voters are funny because they value like things like wins less than they used to for Cy Young. Um, at the same time, they still really like ERA. And Kevin Gossman having like, you know, a FIP. And I, I believe he leads like the American League in war and um, in, in Fangraphs war, not just position player or not just pitchers, but like all of the American League outside of Shohei Itani. He is leading in war because he's such a strikeout machine um, and, and yeah, just dominates in that way. Um, but yeah, it, it seems to be ERA a driver of, of what gets voters. And I mean, there's guys with the sub three ERA, right? So we'll see how Gossman's second half plays out. But again, you've got like a top five, top three Cy Young arm for like second straight year dominating at the top of your rotation. And I just think back to the Robbie Ray conversation, right? Like the, as much as there was the, the vaccine conversation and the idea or thought that maybe Ray wouldn't come back at all, that was open. Like it basically, his his agent was pushing that. Yeah, I mean, he'll get vaccinated if he comes back to Toronto. It's not a problem. The Jays made the choice. They they decided that Gossman was their guy over Robbie Ray coming off of the Cy Young. And uh, yeah, it's pretty great how that looks now um, because that was a bold move to make at the time, right? Because Robbie Ray was the guy you knew and you just watched him win a Cy Young and you decided, no, we want to go get that guy instead. And that has proved to be a an incredible decision for the Jays. 
doesn't just lead the American League. He leads all major league pitchers in Fangraph's war at an even four, which is incredible. Zach Gallen, Zach Wheeler, Framber Valdez, and Spencer Strider make up the rest of the top five. Coombsy, what do you make of Gosman in the first half? This is a guy who's going to contend for a Cy Young. Oh, definitely. I mean, actually, like to to kind of bring up a different point is that's got to be the best. That's got to be the best signing or even acquisition that Atkins has made since becoming the GM, right? This this contract, this signing, like the whole thing, like BK just said, like going through and saying, you know what, we're going to sign this guy instead of Robbie Ray is probably the better long term option. That's uh, that's got to be up there with their 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 number one move they've made. And I mean, back to back years, first years of the contract, you're right in the mix for the Cy Young. Can't ask for anything more than that. That's been. He's been better than anybody could have expected, really. Like we we had high expectations when the contract was signed, given the year he had the San Francisco two eight one ERA, nine one hundred ninety two innings. Like we expected a good starter, but I think Gosman's definitely exceeded what I expected. Yeah, I think the other part of that move that makes it so impressive, like you know, they bring in George Springer. It's just like okay, we are getting George Springer. There we go. We love him. He makes our lineup better. The Gosman thing was twofold and. It took some, it took some balls to be like, Hey, we think there's something better out there than Robbie Ray after the season he had. And we're committing serious money to a guy who's never pitched in our organization. Like he, he gets a big kind of, he gets a big round of applause for that one. And I mean, even with mm. Maria bouncing back this year, like there's been a handful of clear cut wins, but I think you're right. Gosman is uh, probably at the top. Uh, let's head into the bullpen for our third up. But before we do that, I'm going to rain on the parade of applauding the bullpen with a tweet from Shai Davidi that I see you just sent you. <laughs> it says, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. drives one off Jordan Romano. It's ruled fair tie game. During the review, though, Romano's visited by a trainer and is coming out of the game. Whose idea was it to send this guy to the All-Star game? Yeah, it's just not- an unbelievable sequence of events, right? Gurriel hitting a home run to tie the game off Romano. Then it gets reviewed and it's called back, but Romano's back hurts. And then they bring in Michael Lorenzen to come in and replace him. Um, yeah, a whole lot of uh, Blue Jays stuff going on there. Of, of course, it's Gurriel too, right? Like it, oh, yeah. and it ended up being it reversed, be. but I'm sure the timeline, we were busy talking. I'm sure the Twitter timeline was going nuts when that happened. Um, so yeah, hopefully it's just a minor back thing and he's just being careful with it. Um, we'll have to see how, yeah, how things play out, but not good. Not good. A little scary to see Romano leaving a game. Um, regardless of it being the All-Star game. And and yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, I'll be glass half full here and be like, ah, he felt a little something and was like, not worth it. It's just the All-Star game. So hopefully it's not mm-hmm. the series for him. Um, talk about things that we maybe <laughs> weren't expecting to be saying at the start of the season. Can't start a conversation about the bullpen without talking about Trevor Richards, Kimsey. <laughs> yeah, this is this is not something. This is I remember during spring training, we were like, how are they gonna fit all these guys? You know, Mitch White doesn't have options. There's this and that. You know, people wanted to see Jay Jackson on the team. He had a great spring training. It was like, why not just DFA Trevor Richards? He was so bad last year. Like, cut your losses. They never should have traded Rowdy. What were they thinking? And then all of a sudden, I've said it a million times, and I will continue to say it. As long as he's pitching well, now that he's in this role, he is their version of 2016 Andrew Miller. He's their multi-inning bullpen ace who comes and strikes guys out. And it's fantastic. They finally have this guy. It's This is exactly why they badly need to have someone fill in that number five starter role. If it's Manoa coming back, if it's Hyunjin Ryu, whoever it is, have Trevor Richards in the bullpen because he's the perfect arm to bridge the gap in the fifth, sixth innings. He's even a good enough arm to pitch in like the seventh or the eighth and even in leverage. He's done really well. His changeup looks so ridiculously good this year, just striking guys out and making them look silly. It's, it's, but that's baseball for you. Like how many times has there been? 
pitchers who one year you're like, oh, this guy is terrible. Like, get rid of him. And the next year, he's just back. That's We've seen it so many times. That's baseball. It's it's honestly at a point now where it's like, if there's ever a pitcher that's good and then they have a bad year, I don't want to write anybody off anymore. I'm like, everyone's going to bounce back because I've seen it with so many guys now. And then Trevor Richards is at the top of that list. So let me ask you guys, Trevor Richards, guess what his uh, strikeout percentage is or where he ranks in Major League Baseball for relievers, like minimum minimum 30 innings pitch. It'll be like top so 10. Qualified, qualified relievers, Trevor Richards. Like just think of everything we've thought about Trevor Richards in the last two years. Uh, yeah, where, where, do you have him, where do you have him on that list? Like initially, just because I know he's having a good year, I want to be like, oh, top 20. But I feel like you wouldn't be telling me this and asking this question if he wasn't like top five. Yeah, he's top 10. Um, yeah, top 10 in K percentage. He's ninth in K's uh, strikeout minus walk rate, uh, walk percentage. Um, he's up there with like the elites of baseball. Absolute elite K rate. Um, you, you watch the changeup just floating in and diving. It's a different feeling because the, the pitch has a different like look, but it feels like Marco Estrada, right? Just that like floating changeup. Again, this one drops more, but like just this like, pitch where the guys know it's coming they don't have to be scared of velocity otherwise right like there's you know there's guys throwing 102 with like the nasty change up and that's really hard for a batter these pitchers or these batters don't have to fear velocity from Richard he's going to throw 93 94 and yet still they know this pitch is coming and they just can't touch it and to the point where he's striking out uh basically as many as, as many guys as anyone in baseball outside of like the very top end relievers so yeah the the fact he could be stretched out for three innings the fact he can give you multiple innings the fact he can be a setup man in a critical game where you've got a one run lead and come in in the eighth and get a strikeout or you can bring him in out of the bullpen when there's a guy in third base and less than two out um he has just been critical to the success of the bullpen this year and the bullpen as you as a whole it's been a really really nice unit for the jays yeah, it has been like really not a lot of complaints. Does it maybe say something? And I feel like every offseason we do the whole, oh, they got it, make the bullpen better. Is building a successful bullpen maybe just about taking a bunch of chances on guys? Like, should you not be going out and big game hunting for these crazy, like think about the, the Mets getting Edwin Diaz, right? And I know that was an unfortunate injury and whatever, but like maybe the smart play is just taking a bunch of chances on guys with decent stuff and being like, okay, one of them will probably hit. Well, they've been, they've been building this one out for a while. It feels yep. like, you know, it's slowly just been adding guys. It was midway through the 2021 season, or I guess not even midway, like those trades came early. You know, Adam Simber and Trevor Richards. And then this offseason, there's the big trade for Eric Swanson. You always had Romano and Meza. Jimmy Garcia comes last, last offseason. This year, you get Nate Pearson in the mix. You know, he's been around for quite some time and they finally put him into that role. Like they've, they've really been piecing this thing together for a couple of years. And now it feels like we're finally seeing them all rolling well at the same time it it feels like that's never really happened there's been instances where some guys are really killing it and then some guys are really struggling think last year like richards was pretty bad last year it was a mess and this year he's been fantastic and you look up and down the bullpen like you know the the one disaster i guess is um simbury's had a rough year and then i guess there's anthony pass as well i kind of forgot about that i'm just looking at the names on the list i'm like oh yeah whoops so i mean i guess yeah there's been like a couple of bullpen disasters but this is easily the most confident that 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 i've felt in a bullpen that the jays have had in years like we're two years removed from seeing tyler chapman 
Atwood, Raphael Dolis, mm. Joel Payamps, uh, Brad Hand. Like, who, who's the Sergio Romo? Like, <laughs> hilariously, Joel Payamps is having a nice season he for is, the Milwaukee yeah. Brewers. Yeah. <laughs> just, just like bullpens are nuts, man. They're just they're so hard to figure out year to year. You guys have touched on this. Um, the and, and the, the bullpens, you know, a passionate area of discussion for myself. Because it gets really annoying when, like, anytime the, and I tweeted about this the other day, but anytime the bullpen has a tough game, the commentary as is as if the bullpen is bad, right? Like, everybody just whines, like, oh, they never address the bullpen. It's like, no, look at the names from two years ago and look at now. Look at the ERA from two years ago and look at now. Look at the strikeout rate, right? Like, if there's one attribute you'd want out of a bullpen, what is it? It's, it's strikeouts. Like, there's nothing you want more than strikeouts out of a bullpen. They're doing it. The one thing they lack, yes, is like having a bunch of guys throwing 100. But those guys aren't available in free agency. There's Edwin Diaz and nobody, right? And uh, Tyler, as you mentioned, the free agent class for relievers last year, um, Rafael Montero got $36 million from the Astros. He had one good year in his entire career. He throws hard, but he was great last year for the Astros. His ERA is like six-something this year. He stayed healthy. Diaz hurt. Robert Suarez, who was like my free agent relief pitcher crush last season with the Padres, he came over from, I believe he was pitching in Mexico in 2021. The Padres brought him over for five million bucks. He had a great season. He got 47 million with an opt out somehow, like one season. And he's, he's in his like mid, like early mid thirties. Um, it's unbelievable the contracts that were going out. So yeah, the Jays pivoted. They did the Eric Swanson trade. Um, they, uh, yeah. And then, you know, trusting guys like Richards to change their pitch profile a little bit and removing a bad pitch, like a curveball, and making them focus on what works and, and credit where it's due. There's not much money being spent on this bullpen. The money of the team is being spent elsewhere and yet they're getting production out of the bullpen, which is very good. The moment, if the Blue Jays happen to make the playoffs and the bullpen blows a game again, the commentary is going to be just really annoying to deal with, but that's the thing about the playoffs. Teams blow games in the playoffs. That's because one team ends up the winner at the end of the playoffs. Like in all <laughs> likelihood, if the Jays make the playoffs, the bullpen will have a bad game because that's likelier than not for every team. But the bullpen is a good unit this year. It's pitched well. It's striking guys out like we have never seen in the last 10 years out of a Blue Jays bullpen. And every once in a while, they have a tough game. They also have the fewest amount of blown saves. Like try telling people who complain about the bullpens about that. In all of baseball, the Blue Jays have blown the fewest number of saves in the sport. It just, it's been a really solid, you know, I'm not saying it's elite, but it is a good bullpen with Chad Green coming. Maybe they add somebody at the deadline. Nate Pearson's kind of coming into his own. There's some things to be optimistic about now and the future. And I like the pen and I'm glad to get that rant off my back. Are you telling me that you promise? promise they won't blow an 8-1 lead if they make the playoffs. Do you promise it won't happen? Uh, yeah, well, Anthony Bass isn't on the team. So. There you go. <laughs> okay, we have made it to the 30-minute mark of today's podcast, and we haven't talked shit about anyone, so let's get into the three downs from the first half of the year. Two-parter with Alec Manoa for me. Okay, he fell off the face of the earth. That was really, really bad. He went from Cy Young contender to a guy getting lit up in the FCL or whatever. We don't need to get into that. <laughs> the second part of this, though, I have two beefs. One, it's just with the fact Manoa fell off, and it's a shitty story. Number two, though, they've been pretty, they've been healthy. The five guys that they started the year with, none of them have gotten hurt, and they're very lucky to have that happen to them. There was no depth. Manoa faltered, 
And the Jays were sitting there totally screwed, at least in the moment. Like, yes, it sucks that Manoa had a really tough start to the year. Hopefully he's back. Hopefully it's behind him. But the fact that there was no depth to even bail out the Jays a little bit, that also kind of pisses me off, BK. Yeah, that's fair. The the interesting pitching arms the Jays have in the minors are like double A and not the kind of guys you'd feel like are ready to take a step forward. So this was a year where they, they needed the pitchers to be healthy. Um, they they were in a weird spot when it came to free agency. I know we see each year like teams will go and draft or go and sign like, you know, 35 year old journeyman pitchers to minor league deals just to have them in the minors. Um I know the the Jays were kind of viewed as an unappealing organization for that this year because the rotation was so set. Like it was either Manoa or a bunch of guys who were paid big contracts. So those kind of, you know, fringe starters did not like the Jays versus other teams where they felt there might be more of an opportunity to compete in spring training for a job that just didn't exist for the Jays. But the Jays basically had Ricky Tiedemann as the sixth starter and an injured Ryu who wasn't going to be back until like a hundred games into the season as the seventh guy. And obviously Tiedemann got hurt. Ryu isn't available. And uh, yeah, it put them in a tough spot. I, I think Bowden Francis has actually kind of shown me something where he's at least interesting. And if they build him up, maybe he's more of a guy there, but I mean, you, you didn't want to feel like, you know, a lot relied on Bowden Francis being a critical guy this year. So um, him, him and Richards doing piggyback starts actually kind of worked out all right. But what it did do was it removed Richards from pitching in critical situations elsewhere. And that's where the lack of depth hurt them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you they're, they're in a funny spot now because, Tyler, you go from this place where you're like, they have no depth where they're doing these bullpen piggyback piece it together games where now Manoa's back and let's say he's all right. And the Jays have to make a decision on Ryu in like 20 days or maybe it's like 18 days, something like that. What are they going to do? Right. They might all of a sudden have too many starters. And again, that, that that's not to bypass your your statement on it was a flaw. Like they just didn't have an option and they got fortunate with good health. But now all of a sudden they're going to go from this like we have nobody to do we run with the six man rotation? Do we DFA Ryu? Do we eat his money and trade him somewhere? Because they they can't send him down, right? Like the the rotation is not optional outside of Manoa. And if he's pitching well, obviously, or even decently, if Manoa looks like a major league starter, even a four or five, he's staying in the rotation. But then if you run a six-man rotation, you're not pulling somebody out of the bullpen. And they don't really have a lot of optional optional guys there. So they're they're in a weird spot pitching-wise where I don't think they're gonna go and add a starter at the deadline because where where do they put that guy? But also they need to hedge against injury and future injury and Ryu maybe not working out and and I don't know what they do. So they're in a weird spot and I don't know how they approach the deadline as far as starting pitching. I think what pissed people off so much about the starting pitching depth thing was Mitch White specifically. Like they, mm-hmm. they made that trade last year and it was... Nick Frasso started off so well for the Dodgers, but it was in... You know, he's, he's kind of fallen off a bit recently and he's also a 25 year old in double A, like pitching three, four innings at a time. But, you know, Mitch White was nowhere to be found at spring training, had an injury in the offseason, and then he just wasn't an option. It was like, geez, didn't the Jays get a six third? Didn't they give away a good prospect to get one? And then you were sitting here mm-hmm. being like, Oh wow, like our next best option is Zach Thompson or Drew Hutchison or something. Like what's even going on here? I think a lot of that angst was directed at the Mitch White trade, but now as time's gone along for us, I was 
was not pitching quite as well. That other prospect they got in the deal in Vancouver, Alex DeJesus. DeJesus. He's, yeah, right? he's interesting. It, that would be the funniest story is if the Jays won the Mitch <laughs> White trade because Alex DeJesus becomes like a legitimate player in the major leagues, which I still doubt. And you know what? It, I like at this time, it was a bad trade. He was also, remember the Stripling talk about it? It was like Stripling 2.0. They're getting the swingman from the Dodgers, just like they did with Stripling. That worked out so well. Um, I, I look at it two ways. It was just, it, it was a, you know, after the Syndergaard deal fell through and some other things didn't go their way, Frankie Montas, the Jays thought they had him and thank goodness they didn't, but like they had their targets go to other teams at the deadline. And I don't know if it was a panic move, but it was just like, okay, well, we need another arm. We like Mitch White. Nick Frasso is kind of one of those really high ceiling, low floor guys where we don't know, like it may, maybe he becomes something, maybe he doesn't, but we need somebody who helps now. And the Jays got Mitch White and he was immediately worse. So they, they did not do a good job finding what worked in LA for him and getting that out of him. And that was a big problem. Uh, another name you mentioned, Coombsy, Zach Thompson, right? Like he, they brought him over from Pittsburgh and he was going to be the optionable. And I, I missed mentioning him earlier. But he was good. Like two years ago for Florida, for Miami, he was a good major league starter. Last year, he was awful for Pittsburgh. The Jays, you know, I think Arden had a piece in spring where the Jays thought they could get something out of him. They wanted to make this and that tinker, these moves. And he was atrocious. And he's been atrocious. And he's been a complete nothing. So what, you know, the, the moves they have made, they haven't gone and gotten the best out of these arms. And that's been a problem because they, they need to take some of these reclamation projects or these fringe guys and find a way to make them better in a way that they've done with Trevor Richards. All right, I like the way we're kind of rolling through this year. Where for the ups, we went from the batting lineup to the bullpen to the rotation. We started with a big down when it comes to the rotation. Um, so let's go to the lineup here and talk about a few guys who've had disappointing first halves. Vladdy's a tough one because you know his first half wasn't great, but again, like we talked about Whit Merrifield being such a big positive because he blew expectations out of the water. And Vladdy's just kind of the reverse of that, right? Where our expectations for him are always so sky high that even though he's an all-star and everything like that, we're still sitting there wanting more from Vladdy. We still want that Vladdy of a few years ago, Coombsy. Before we get into some other names, just what did you make of Vladdy in the first half? It's been, yeah, that's the thing is it's been, it's been, it's been frustrating because we got a taste of that in 2021. He has the, you know, damn near MVP season or what would have been an MVP season pretty much whenever else, right? OPS over a thousand hits 48 home runs, leads the American League. And it just hasn't really ever been the same since like even, even if you look at last year, 2022 is still kind of underwhelming, winds up with like an eight. 818 OPS, 32 dingers. This year we're halfway through and he's not even on pace for that. It's only 13 home runs thus far. We're kind of asking ourselves, like, is he even going to eclipse 30 home runs? Like, it doesn't really look like it. So, I mean, I've said it a million times. If the Jays are going to have an elite offense, it starts with this guy. If he, if, if Vladdy's good in the middle of the lineup, then the Jays lineup can be really good, but it just hasn't happened yet. And I feel, I, I feel for the guy too, because the pressure is sky high, like the, 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 the weight of the entire, the, the, the team, the fan base, the country, whatever is kind of on his shoulders, because you can talk about any other big name on the team, whether it's Alec Manoa dealing with pressure or Bo or George Springer or whoever, at the end of the day, it's Vladdy's the central player on the team. That's the, that's, that, that's the guy the team was built around. And if he's not coming through and being the player that, 
the team, the fans, whoever the media expected him to be like, that's, it's a difficult burden to carry because you beyond just like the hype as a prospect, the last name, everything, like it's a lot to deal with and it just hasn't happened yet. I really do hope that this all-star game home run derby thing, give them some good vibes for the second half, because I mean, we obviously want to see him do well because we want to see the team win, but you feel, you feel bad for the guy struggling down the stretch and not contributing to them having a big second half, right? Like, you know, he had that huge year in 2021 and there's a, I think there's a genuine worry that that was the best we'll ever see. Yeah. BK. Well, I mean, he's a first baseman, right? So the standard or the bar set to be a valuable player at first base, you have to hit and hit well. Um, and if you look at his Fangraphs war, he's, he's been worth 0.5 F4 this year. That's less than Dalton Varsho. That's less than Brandon Belt. He has not been a valuable major league player this year. Not to say that he can't be moving forward, but I think the frustration and angst of the fan base is fair. Like, you know, you look at his baseball savant page and he's like 99th percentile and everything as far as like quality, like, like smacking the ball as hard as you can possibly hit it. But we've seen that for enough years now where we just know he hits the ball into the ground. If he's not going to fix his, fix his launch angle, the power and force with which he hits a ball doesn't really matter nearly as much. So if you're slow and not helpful on the bases and you're playing first base and your WRC plus is 120, it means you're 20% better hitter than the league average. And that's not position adjusted. Then you're just kind of a mediocre player. And I'm not saying that's what he is moving forward, but that's what he's been this year. So I think it's fair to be frustrated and want more. And, you know, you're looking at the next two years, he's going to make probably like, you know, close to $50 million between 2024, 2025 and our beers. And, and I, the ceiling is still very, very high. Um, And you at least have that to, you know, dream on. But I think there's reason to wonder, is this a guy you decide as an organization to pay into his mid thirties? Because the volatility is so strong and we just haven't seen sustained elite performance out of him. And I don't think you want to have a volatile first baseman as your franchise player who you're giving over $30 million a year to. That's a tough conversation to have. And I mean, at at this point last year, there was nobody that was saying, yeah, absolutely. Let's sign Bobichette long-term over Vladdy. And Mm -hmm. now if you polled the majority of the fan base, I bet you nine out of 10 people would say Bo is the one. So BK, are you not at all on the train that this is also a bit of bad luck with Vladdy? Or do you think it's just a lot deeper than that? Uh, No, I don't think it's, I, no, I don't think it's bad luck because he's he's chasing more. Um, yeah, like when his billing as a prospect was he had an 80 grade hit tool because his bat to ball contact was so good. But at the same time, he had strike zone discernment. And I, if you remember his rookie season, even when he wasn't all that impressive, he did not chase these breaking balls at the low part of the strike zone. He identified them right out of the pitcher's hand. And he knew not to swing. And I, I don't know where that trait has gone because he chases these pitches. He swings out of his shoes. He uh, he gets like jammed by inside fastballs quite often. It's just it's weird. So um, I there there yeah there may be some batted uh, poor luck when it comes to batted ball stuff, but not to the extent where it changes my view of what you can be as a player. There's other players who have poor luck like that where it will impact how I expect them moving forward. If Vladdy needs to fix his launch angle and, and revert back to what he's been historically from a chase rate perspective, 
before I'm really buying in on him being an elite player. I think he can be better than what he's shown us this year, even just doing what he's still doing, but not, not an elite talent, an elite player. Um, I, I just don't think that's there with what he's currently doing up at the plate. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of questions to be asked about it. I'm, I'm excited to see what he does in the second half. Cause again, like, you know, momentum out of the home run derby and, and he can take a step forward and these things can fix themselves. And we've seen when, when you show elite performance at the age of 21, like you can't fake that, right? You can't fake what he did that season. So we know it's in there, but there's been reasons to be concerned for, you know, 18 months now. And that's a very long time to be concerned about things with a baseball player. Two other players. We're not hopping off the disappointment train quite yet here. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, Dalton Varsho. One of them was an all-star 12 months ago. One of them was the prized off-season acquisition last winter. Uh, give me something on each of those guys. Because I like Varsho is tough, too, because he's been so good in the field that it's like, okay, you almost want to... Like if he was just a free agent ad for a handful of millions of dollars, you'd be like, hey, we like what we're getting from him, right? Evan Kiermaier. Um, but the fact they paid that price, again, put expectations up at this level that Varsho just hasn't lived up to because of his deficiencies at the plate. No, both players have been good defensively, so that's a positive, especially with Varsho. He's been fantastic defensively, like those those times where he take, plays in center field when Kiermaier is not available. That's exactly why they needed to make that trade. But at the end of the day, like they did pay a significant price, and you also attach Kirk to this as well. Like, you know, we talked all all everyone knew leading into the offseason, one of the three catchers was going to go, and that was the talk. Which one of the three is it going to be? Like, okay, they're probably going to keep Danny Jansen because he's the veteran who knows the pitchers. Oh well, Ali. Andrew Kirk's also Manoa's personal catcher, so he's probably going to stay. Okay, it makes sense to get rid of Gabby Moreno then. And I mean, you have a lot of people saying now, oh, geez, like Kirk fell off a cliff. They should have sold high when he was doing well. Like, you know, this is DeAndre Navarro 2.0. He comes in with Tampa Bay and makes the all-star team in his first year, and then he's never that good ever again. And you know, like not not exactly the most like perfectly comparable thing, but you have tons of different people are saying no, they should have traded Kirk for a left left fielder instead. But it's only been half a season. Varsho's a young player. It's not like they acquired this isn't Seattle acquiring Teoscar Hernandez. It's we're getting this guy for one year and then he's gonna walk. It's uh, or we're gonna have to pay him or whatever. This is a guy they got who's this is like his second full major league season. So there's still a ways to go, but no, it hasn't been tremendously encouraging. It's it's really shocking to see what's happened with Kirk too as well like this was someone who came up and his command of the strike zone was so good like it was he never swung at anything outside of the zone and now he's swinging through stuff and it's 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 really weird it's not what you'd expect but also at the end of the day and i mentioned this before with the relievers that's baseball like you cannot go into a season looking at stats and numbers and thinking okay everyone's just going to pan out like at least a handful of guys are going to underperform a handful of guys are going to overperform and you have to hope that that kind of works out and you you kind of mesh that together and everything just you know lines out but you know when we when you look at this team on paper in the off season these were two players who you could pencil in at like fifth and sixth. And you thought if they hit like their career averages, that's, that's all you need. Then this is a good lineup and they have not hit like their career averages. And as a result, the lineups, it's fine, but it's not, I wouldn't call it good or great. It's just okay. And I think the three guys we've talked about here, if they get hot in the second half, this can be an amazing lineup, but I haven't seen much to think that any of the three of them can get super hot in the second half. There just, just hasn't been that much optimism around the three of them. The BK, I'll flip it to you between Kirk and Varsho. Is there one of them that stands out as maybe is more concerning than the other? Or is there one of them that you look at and go, I actually think they might be primed to have a 
way better second half than first half. Uh, I think Kirk is more concerning just because like everything that made him great. It's almost like the Vladdy conversation again, right? Because we forget how young Alejandro Kirk is, but he had such an elite bat to ball tool where he line, he just hit line drives, right? Like when he came up, he hit line drives to the outfield. He wasn't like a big power guy, but he hit gappers for doubles and just line drive singles. And now he just like rolls over things, pops out and it's like, he's getting absolutely nothing from his legs at the plate. So I'm like, I don't know how they fix that. It seemed like last year he tired because he was elite the first half and then like, you know, okay, slightly below average hitter in the second half. And then this year, it's it's funny that we're pairing these guys together because they have identical 78 WRC pluses this year. That's an awful number. With Kirk, he's basically your like dad's version of a backup catcher, right? Like, and and that is complete opposite of what you expected coming up. You thought he'd be a rough defensive guy who's going to hit his way to be worth playing time. And now he's an elite blocker and framer, um, seemingly a pretty good pitch caller, and he works with the pitchers well. And he's got a 78 WRC plus. Like he's like a he's Jose like Molina. 19, yeah, he's like a nineteen nineties <laughs> backup catcher. And I'm like, how how is that Alejandro Kirk at like the age of twenty four? How did we get here? Um, so I'm more concerned about him. Dalton Varsho had a one oh six WRC plus last year. If he was just that guy, we would be like singing his praises. And I don't know, again, like, what is it? Is, is, are the Jays tinkering with stuff with him? Is he too nervous? You know, coming to a new team, new changes, and he just has had trouble just getting comfortable. Because if you go and look at his like month by month splits, even last year, he had brutal months like we have seen, but he also had red hot months and like really good months. And we haven't seen that swing. So, He's a streaky hitter, much like Lourdes was for us out of left field. But we have not seen very sustained, good streaky. And we're just waiting for that to come. And there's nothing watching him hit right now that makes you think, oh, that's that's coming and that's imminent. But he gives you so much like base running, fielding. I feel bad for him because like he wants it so bad. You can see it on him, right? Like he's He's the he's the tryhard dude, but like in the like sincere, like pure form of tryhard, um, he he wants it so bad. So I, I feel quite bad for him. But um, both guys have been really frustrating. And seventy eight WRC plus is awful. Like that's that's an atrocious number. I think the trade was defensible if he was just twenty twenty two Varsho. And when the Jays got him, I think they thought there was more there. I think that's why they were comfortable with that trade. They thought he could get to be like a one fifteen one twenty guy. And if I recall, like, I think his second half last year was better than his first half. So, like, there was these things to look like. Maybe he's breaking out as a hitter and we're getting in early on that. Um, The trade itself, like, I I don't think teams wanted Kirk. The the Jays were in a weird spot because a team has to want the player at a high price that you're trading. Kirk had four years left of control, had a really mediocre second half. Teams have always had concerns about his his body holding up in the catcher position. So he, with only four years, he didn't fit a rebuilding team. A contending team likely didn't want to hand him the keys as their starting catcher. So like St. Louis wasn't interested in Kirk at all. Like they wanted Danny Jansen, and the Diamondbacks weren't interested in Kirk. They wanted Moreno, and there weren't many sellers last year that were trading good outfielders. So the Jays kind of just made the deal they had to make. The problem is that. Lourdes Gurriel has had a really nice season and I I looked at that as a throw in. I was fine. Like I, to me, it was like, whatever, like he wasn't, you know, now they have the starting outfield. He would have been a fourth outfielder anyways. It's his walk year, probably unfair to him to demote him right before his walk year. 
He's going to make seven million bucks. If he was a free agent, he's worth what, like twelve over one year going into last off season. So he carried like maybe five million dollars of surplus value. To me, that was just a throw in to finalize the trade. I honestly didn't think much about it at the time. And now it's proven a pretty big deal because Gabby Moreno's actually struggled offensively quite a bit with the Diamondbacks. Um, so at least that part of the trade, that's the part that worried me the most. And that's the part looking maybe okay. But it's 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 weird to reevaluate all this. Um, but man, if Varsho can just be like last year's version for the second half, massive for the team, like absolutely huge. I want it for him. I want it for me. I want to watch Dalton Varsho do all these other things good and be like, oh, also when he's coming to the plate, I'm feeling good. But uh, yeah, I mean, two two really disappointing players in the first half. It's it's starting to remind me a lot of, and this 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 reference or this comparison was brought up in the past. It's reminding me a lot of Colby Rasmus when they got him back in what was that mm. like 2011, 2012, or whenever that was, and the potential. It's all the skills are there, and it's just when he when he connects and he hits that home run, and it's a beautiful swing, and the ball just goes a million miles an hour, and the speed and the fielding, everything. It's just stunning that he can't put it all together. It's weird. Let's, like you said, would love to see it in the second half. Mm. Uh, we aren't going to do a third down around the bullpen because not a ton to complain about unless someone's got an Anthony Bass take they want to quickly throw in again. No, we're good. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> we're past it. <laughs> then we'll make the third down just the fact that of the seven best teams in the American League, five of them are from the AL East. Uh, you can be quick with it, Coomzy, but that's just so annoying. Yeah, this is this is the worst. And I will complain about this over and over and over and over again. They need to realign these divisions. The central teams are all bad. There's a reason they're all bad. They're not just randomly bad. They got to realign these divisions. There was news today. They're talking about expanding to 32 teams. Make it 8, 8, 8, and 8. Put the Jays in a division that's not this. Uh, yeah, man, this is this is like the American League East has always been good. It was I remember being a Jays fan in like the early 2000s and all that, and it was impossible to make the playoffs because the Yankees and the Red Sox only one wild card team. At least now there's like you know three wild card teams, so that's a positive. But I mean, this is the best American League East I've ever seen, which is really saying something. You get. Yeah, the the division sucks, and at least there's uh, it's a little less play within the division than there used to be. Um, at the same time, that hurts you from being able to make up ground, right? So um, the the Jays quite famously, obviously, have struggled in the division this year. It is kind of funny, like the top um, top team, the Rays are three and four against, like that. You know, one game below five hundred, you'd rather be four and three, but that's not some like clear problem. Three and four against the Yankees. Everything that's gone wrong has been against the Red Sox and Orioles, which is not what you would have guessed coming into the season. Um, I would say my hot take is the Jays aren't discernibly worse baseball team than the Orioles. They're one in five against them. It's been ugly. They also like had a three run lead in the eighth inning against the O's. I was at that game where Romano comes in and gives up this monster home run. They had another game where they hit like they got like two hits every single inning <laughs> and yet didn't score any runs because they just hit single, single out, 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 single, single out, out. Like just one of those famously unbelievable games where I'm just sitting there like, how are they not scoring runs? They have like 28 hits today and like one run. How is that even possible? So like, look, it's, sometimes it's just bad luck. Six games is not a large sample. Um, the, the Orioles of the future terrify me. The Orioles of right now are a good baseball team. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying they're not some like just because they're five and one against the Jays, they're not discernibly a better team. They have flaws. Like that is a team with flaws. Um, I think they they might run baseball two three years from now oh, yeah. and for a long time. So I'm very scared of them. 
But this year, it's been more just poor fortune. Like, play better against your division. Go win these meaningful games. And don't choke or do stupid things or have this bad runner in scoring position luck and all these dumb things that have happened against the Orioles and Red Sox. Because, yeah, it's it's, it's allowed the Red Sox to stay in the race, right? Like, the Red Sox are not staring down a wild card position even close if the Jays have gone like three and three against them, right? But they've, they've been swept twice and look at where that put them now. So yeah, all of that is very bad and you need to perform in your division, especially when there's less games to play against them. And it's been, it's been ugly against those two teams. Yeah. Uh, so just to bring everyone behind the curtain, when I was mapping out the time in my head of how we'd work through this pod, I'm like, okay, we'll spend like 15 minutes on the ups. <laughs> That never happens with us. And, I was like, and then we'll take a quick break and we'll do like a quick 15 at the end, 45 minutes. No, almost been an hour. Uh, so we'll step aside for a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll do a little bit of uh, a little bit more looking ahead to the second half of the season. We'll be right back. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, moving along. And I lied before that break as well. We want to look back at some of our preseason predictions very Ooh. before we keep moving along. <laughs> yeah. um, we, had the, we threw out the tweet, and uh, I have it up in front of me here to see what some of the listeners said. Um, Nick was in, said the Yankees missed the playoffs. I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. That's fine. Right that they missed. I hear you, Nick. Yep. Uh, Tyson said Otani's going to sign an extension with the Angels. Coombsy, I don't think your prediction of him getting traded is coming through, but I also don't think the extension part's coming through. I could see it. It's not in un- the Angels are trying their hardest yeah. right now. They lost nine out of ten going into the All Star break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, 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 things were looking really good for them for a minute, and everyone was like, "There you go," oh, and they, they became wow. the Angels again. <laughs> That's what they do. <laughs> The baseball gods are like, man, things are going too good for this organization. And Mike Trout like breaks his hand on a it's random weirdest spot, like all yeah. the way up here. Just yeah. insane stuff. Uh, Tammy was in and said, Danny Jansen stays off the IL and is consequently the best catcher in the AL. Didn't quite happen, but he's been clutch. So we'll take that. He's been great. He's been, yeah, we he's, love Danny. he's been a fantastic catcher. Yeah, Jack said uh, the Jays are going to... He was very optimistic, and I respect the hell out of it because I think we were too, but he said Jays win 100 games for the first time, win the American League East, Vladdy MVP, Manoa Cy Young. Those probably aren't happening. I'm just going to 
could we not just have one of those seasons where like 80% of things go right? Like just, nice. just one time, just stumble into the random baseball gods luck. Uh, yeah. Well, they uh, could still win a hundred games and maybe you have a uh, bow MVP and Gosman Cy Young or Whit Merrifield MVP. Oh, man. That would, that would be a second half if they got to a hundred. My goodness. Uh, and then there's a couple that our listeners nailed, but in kind of fucked up ways. Uh, Blue Jay Way said, you say Kikuchi will have a better ERA than at least one of Gosman or Manoa. Oh, oof. Not a trade I wanted to make. Yeah, that's, that's not a what you great one. That's a great one to highlight. My goodness. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really <laughs> on point prediction. <laughs> and uh, Matt nailed this one. He said, of the Blue Jays offseason departures, Lourdes Gurriel will have the best breakout season in 2023. Mm-hmm. So uh, glove taps to him on that because he, yeah. he absolutely nailed that one. I didn't yeah, see that coming. Good. We forgot uh, how, how bad Gurriel was last year. Only five home runs. Shock. Five home runs, awful defense in the outfield, couldn't base run. Like, seriously, I. I was completely indifferent to his inclusion. Other than I like, like he was fun yeah, guy to vibes. cheer for, but like he, and, and, you know, his like six weeks a year where he was really hot would be nice. But like, man, I did not, I did not sweat that part of the deal at all. I was Gabby Moreno. I was like, so sad to see Gabby him go. Hive. That was it. Yeah. Gabby Hive. But there was, there's nowhere for him to play. Like they, they had to cash that chip and there weren't many trades out there. And I thought they did all right with the trade. Like it, I didn't think they won the trade. At the time, but I felt like they did what they had to do to make their next two year two years of teams better. Here we are. Yeah, um, I don't have our list of predictions in front of me here. I remember one that I was definitely wrong on. I was very high on Vladdy uh, coming into the season. I had him as like a MVP finalist. I was drinking the Kool Aid, so I was definitely wrong on that. But I think I was right on a Barrios bounce back. Not quite to this extent, but I thought he'd have a better year. Coombsy, when you think back to your predictions at the start of the year, is there anything you remember? Yeah, I had two predictions I made about trades that wound up being completely inaccurate. I was like, the Blue Jays are going to trade for Otani. Uh, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I thought it was going to happen. They don't have the prospects to do it. But alas, and then I also thought they were going to acquire Joey Votto. None of it made sense because they were getting both of them in this scenario and they already have Vladdy and Brandon Belt. But that's probably not going to happen. My other one was a Blue Jay is going to throw a no hitter and then they got no hit by the Detroit Tigers. So, you know, kind of the same thing, right? Like, the Blue similar. Jays offense threw a no hitter. Yeah, exactly. The, the bats came through for me in the way that I wasn't exactly <laughs> expecting. But, and then I think I also said that the six playoff teams in the American League were going to be the exact same as last year in the same order, which is a bizarre thing to predict, but I'm very wrong about that again as well. Wrong about most things, it seems. <laughs> Uh, I, you did, you called uh, Aaron. I finally did pull them up. You did call okay. Judge not hitting forty home runs. So. <laughs> yep, that's true. Thank you, Dodger Stadium. Yeah, uh, BK, what do you have? I have no recollection. I think I I said something about ER uh, rotation ERA being like top three in baseball, something like that. You nailed that. Um, I do not remember anything beyond that. I'm looking through it right no now. Recall. Anything you were wrong on? You were high on Swanson. Um, you said Kevin Gosman's going to be their ace. Um, mm-hmm. you said the Yankees, Jays, and Rays all enter September within four games of each other. So that that feels like a cheap one because most years I'm looking at are actually pretty good here. But that's the one we'll ding you on is not knowing yeah. 
are going to be really. really I think bad. they're only like three back of the raise rate, or sorry, seven, three back of that. So it's 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 doable, but no, it doesn't feel do. Yeah, the Rays like were awful going into the into the break. Which we just didn't like we didn't notice. Like the Jays are seven games back of the Rays. They were they were like ten like yesterday. I don't know how that happened so fast, but yeah, sign me up for that. Um. BK, quickly here, because Coombsy and I talked about it on the last episode, but what did you make of the Jays at the MLB draft? Uh, I, I love the draft. I Yeah, the, the draft was awesome. They um, they went high ceiling in the first round with Arjun Namala, and there, there's a lot of things to like. One, um, just a, a premium athlete, high school age, and young, right? So the reason teams value, and you know, it, we see this across all sports and drafts, but Age means something because a 17-year-old um, showing first-round talent uh, is a lot different than a 19-year-old showing first-round talent. And those are both ages. Like that's a, In the States, there are some really old high school kids. I don't know why that happens, but like, there's a 19-year-old drafted out of Colorado, out of high school, and he wasn't the only one. So if, if those two guys are, are looking comparable, bet on the 17-year-old because you got two more years of development, projection, uh, strength gain all that stuff that's going to hurl him forward. So teams love young players because they're more, um, th- there's more projection remaining just based on the age. So him not, I believe he turns 18 in like the like late fall. So he's a young high school graduate. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was, you know, getting comps to like uh, Javier Baez, Carlos Correa, Alfonso Soriano, as far as just body type and like wiry, like power at that age. So like some similarities, right? It, it doesn't mean you see breaking balls as well as those guys. So it, it's not to say it's a comp, like that's what to expect. But that's the profile they went on. They swung big opposed to getting some safe, like, you know, number five starter out of college. So I love that. Um, and then they just spread around their money in the subsequent rounds. They didn't have a second round pick because of Chris Bassett. Um, that obviously hurt them. So the fact that they didn't have a second round pick and they drafted so many interesting names. Um, I, I really, really liked the draft. I was impressed with with what they came away with um, on I think on the aggregate big board, they landed like four guys who were in the top 100 um, despite picking made their second pick wasn't until 89 and then 121 and one uh, 152 or something like that. So basically if you, if you like aggregate big boards, if you like consensus and athletes like, and or athletes and or guys with elite hit tools, like they, they really had a type in this draft and they went after it and it seems like they won in a lot of places. So it was one of the happiest I've come away. We can only know so much with the baseball draft, but I felt great about it coming out of it. There you go. Uh, two more quick topics to hit on before we wrap this up because I know we got to get going. Uh, early look at the deadline. Coombsy, biggest priority for the Jays as it sits right now is? It's got to be a big right-handed bat that can platoon with that kind of group of left-handed hitters that cannot hit left-handed pitching. Like They can get on base against lefties like Belt and Kiermaier, but they, uh, I, I think it's still the case that they haven't yet hit a home run against a lefty pitcher. None of the lefty batters have. So, you know, it's kind of funny in the offseason we talk, man, the Jays are so right-handed. They keep getting shut down by these power right-handed arms. They got to get some lefties. They got some lefties, and now it's like, well, whenever there's a lefty pitching, we're not hitting a home run. So they got to go out and get a big bat. I don't think it's going to be a huge deadline. I think it's going to be a 2016 style deadline with patchwork done. They'll probably add a reliever or some like swing man or something like that. But they have so many internal options coming back. Manoa mm-hmm. comes up, Ryu comes back, Chad Green. Um, I don't think it'll be a huge deadline. I don't think it has to be. But if they're going to spend big, get a big power right-handed bat. Okay. 
the context around this trade deadline really sucks as a as a buyer because it is a seller's market. There's not very many sellers, right? I think we've we've talked about this in previous pods, but the amount of um, full rebuild teams that are like just entering that there really aren't any in baseball. So the rebuilding teams like uh, Washington, Pittsburgh that have been doing it the last few years, they don't have any good players left that they would trade that aren't part of what they're doing with their next wave. So I like you can go take a, a leaderboard on fan graphs. That's just of teams that you think would be clear sellers. I looked at that today and I'm like, okay, some of these players are franchise players. They're not going to trade. They're like in their first or second year of control. They're not trading those guys. So it's like Lane Thomas from the Washington nationals. Who's having a nice season as a right-handed bat and hits lefties. Well, but like, it's that type of player. This we, We've had some really exciting deadlines the past few years and really exciting off-seasons. And all of a sudden, we're now at a place where there just isn't much. Like There, there aren't going to be good bats traded at this deadline. Shohei Otani is going to dominate the discussion. And then once it's past him, there's not a whole lot. And next free agency is exactly like that. Shohei and then what? Like Matt Chapman, Teoscar <laughs> Hernandez are like the next best players. Like nice players. Um Chapman, I'd be scared of giving seven years, given what his bat looks like. And certainly like Teoscar and Lourdes and their defensive profile and the fact that they don't really walk at all. And, you know, I'd be scared to give them lots of money. So there just isn't offense to acquire in any way, trade or free agency in the next year, which is kind of scary because the Jays don't have a lot internally quite coming quite soon. They got a Relvis and Addison Barger and, and some interesting names, but... Yeah, I, I'm a little worried about the deadline because there aren't good options available and there are teams with more prospects to trade for the few who are. Yeah, yeah, definitely seems to be a seller's market this year. And finally, uh, the Jays are going to take on Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and the Arizona Diamondbacks this weekend as they come out of the ra- break. Coomsey, how do you build the rotation? What order are we going with? My, my thing that I've always mentioned is, and they actively tried not to have the Kikuchi day and the bullpen day back to back. And I think you'd like to avoid having Kikuchi and Manoa back to back. So maybe, I don't know. I think you want to do obviously Gosman's number one, and then maybe you slide in a Kikuchi or Manoa after that, and then go to your next most reliable arm, which is probably Barrios. So you split it up like that. So maybe go Gosman, Manoa, Barrios, Kikuchi, and then Bassett. I'm honestly not really sure. I think there's a lot of different ways they could go, but it's just those two that I wouldn't do back to back for sure. DK? Yeah, I think I'm probably going Brios first just because he's the of the the guys you feel really good about. He's the one who hasn't pitched in the longest because Gossman and Bassett went on the weekend uh, on Saturday, Sunday. So, yeah, I think I would go uh, Brios, Gossman. Um, yeah, maybe I'm sliding. Uh, I'm, I'm putting Bassett fourth out of that list, and then I don't really have a preference for Manoa versus Kikuchi. Maybe they just look at the, the lineups, right? Like, how do they match up? One's a lefty. Um, one's a righty, so maybe they look at which team has the fewest left-handed batters because that's Manoa's weakness typically, right? So I haven't looked at, uh, I don't even know who they play after Arizona, but maybe that dictates it, who, whatever team they match up best against and go from there. So, um, but yeah, I think Brios Gossman 1 2 would be my preference. Uh, three against the Padres coming up after that. And uh, just looking right now, so Gossman 2, 3, 4, 5, God. Yeah, see, I, I'm doing it all off who I personally want to see pitch when I go watch them in Seattle in a couple <laughs> weekends. 
So keep Gosman back a little, and I think it could potentially line up. So that's the way I'm going with it. Um, but I like the real life insight from the two of you and not the jackassery that I gave. Um, BK, this was a lot of fun, man. Thanks for hopping on. It's always a pleasure to, uh, to kind of pick your brain about the way things are going whenever we get a chance to do it. So thanks for hopping on. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, fellas. And let's, uh, man, let's, let's have a less exhausting second half. Like, let's just, yeah, let's just not hate watch this team anymore. Let's like have some really encouraging moments. So I'm hoping for that. And, and, uh, yeah, away we go. Second half. Let's, let's go make the playoffs. Yeah. I prefer to flip on the TV every night and be like, all right, how are they, how are they going to win? Prefer to, how are they going to piss me off? <laughs> uh, Kimsey, we'll chat that in a few days, but thanks for doing this as well. Best wishes. All right, there you go. As always, YouTube, you know where to find it and leave us a review on Spotify and Apple. We'll be back with a breakdown of the Diamondback series on Monday. Chat with you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.